to the Hallmarkies podcast, and we are really excited today. We're talking with another writer. We love talking with writers on Hallmarkies podcast. We're talking with Gary Goldstein, the writer of this weekend's Lights, Camera, Christmas. And Gary, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Rachel. Great to be here. Yeah. So what we like to do with our guests is we like to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about how you got started and how you got started writing. Sure. Well, I, uh, my, my first career, I was, at, well, I, when I was a kid, I was always writing. And when I was in high school and college, I, I was, I was, I wrote for the high school paper, the college paper. I was a journalism major and I wanted to be a film critic. That's what I, that's, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to write for a daily newspaper and be a film critic. Um, but that dream so went south very quickly. So I ended up getting a job in movie publicity. I was living in Boston at the time after school and after college, I got a job in movie publicity and that evolved into a bit of a career for, for a number of years. And then at a certain point, I decided I needed to go back to my first love, which was writing. And I started writing uh, for television. I started writing uh, episodic uh, comedy, mostly. I was fortunate enough to get to, I wrote spec scripts. I got hired to, to work on shows and uh, it kind of evolved into a screenwriting career. I started writing movies and that just kept expanding. So my kind of my, my writing world ended up expanding over the course of time to include stage plays, uh, more journalism work, uh, uh, and then TV movies, which was kind of the mix of, of my TV work and my movie work. Ended up in the TV movie world um, after um, I sold my first script, which was a spec screenplay romantic comedy to Hallmark uh, called The Wishlist. And that happened in about 2010, I think it was. Um, and then uh, I was off and running. And since then I've written a couple of feature, uh, independent feature films in addition to uh, many uh, TV movies, uh, mostly for Hallmark, I've done a few for Lifetime and elsewhere, a great journey. And then, then a couple of years ago, I, I continued my expansion and I started writing novels. I wrote uh, two novels, one called The Last Birthday Party, which was a romantic comedy set uh, in uh, Against Hollywood. Um, and uh, that came out last year, last summer of 21. And uh, my second novel, which just came out a few weeks ago, is called The Mother I Never Had, which I will, where is mine? I'll just keep it <laughs> plug, The Mother I Never Had, um, which is a, a very serious family drama set, also set in Los Angeles. Check them out. But uh, yeah, it's been a great ride. And I'm just thrilled with the response to Lights, Camera, Christmas, which is, was so much fun to write and uh, and to watch come to life, you know, with our, our terrific cast and director and our producers. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm so happy and gratified people have liked it so much. So I, yeah, I saw in your, uh, in, on your IMDb and stuff, they had said journalist slash yeah. screenwriter. And so I was curious about that, what that meant if you, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what it means is that my the dream that I that I lost uh, right out of college about being a film critic, I was able to resurrect it to to a you know to to some extent. Um, about fifteen years ago, I started writing film reviews for the L.A. Times, oh. um, and it, it uh, I was writing for, for film reviews on the side for a website, a really good uh, movie website called Real.com. And uh, they went out of business. And then uh, I just sort of uh, through one fluke or another, I ended up uh, pitching the LA Times to write uh, freelance reviews for them. And they liked them. And I've been writing ever since. And um, and it's a great gig because I, I love watching movies. I love writing about movies. I like I love journalism and that sort of writing. It's very kind of, uh, you know, it just appeals to my organizational side yeah. and my less and more side. Um, and uh, uh, and it's been great. And so I do, uh, it, and it's flexible, which is nice. And, and uh, you know, I, it's, uh, 
I, I have all the time I need to write my scripts and my books and everything else. And, and I do it, do it kind of on the side and, and I love it. And it's great. I work for great people there and, uh, and it's really fun. So I do maybe it, it varies. Uh, maybe, maybe it's maybe I review one a week now or one every other week, but uh, it's really fun. Well, that's interesting. Cause I'm also a film critic. So I, yeah. I certainly can see that side of things. Yeah. And I'm curious your work as a writer, does that make you more empathetic as a critic, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's uh, it's funny because, I'm, I, first of all, I always say nobody ever sets out to make a bad movie. So, you know, if you, you know, it, it, you have to go in reviewing a movie with that, you know, with that in mind, everybody's absolutely doing their best, which is very important to remember. Um, and as a writer, I really, you know, I think I am very capable, qualified to, to uh, you know, to review the writing, to really analyze the writing in the movie. And to me, so much of it starts with the writing. It starts with the basic idea of the film, but then it's the writing. How is it, you know, you start with a script. That's that's where it all begins, and and how it's executed on screen is another matter. But uh, you start with the writing, and um, having written as many screenplays as I have, and and TV scripts and so forth, you know, I feel really qualified to talk about that. But I enjoy it. I mean, I'm a I'm a fan. I I try to find the good. I try to be you know very fair but honest. And uh, you know, sometimes movies are better than others. You know, I've reviewed. I know thousands of movies, you know, over the course of time, you know, for the paper and the website before that. And, uh, you know, they're not all gonna, not all going to be winners, but by and large, you know, by and large, they're, it's pretty positive. But I just I love the writing form of writing reviews. It's really uh, um, it's just it's just a different little different side of the writing brain. Well, and you can still write a negative review and it be empathetic right. and yeah, it Absolutely. doesn't have to be mean spirited. What's interesting is that I've gotten very, very little hate mail from filmmakers yeah. over the course of time, which is nice. And even in, nice. even, even in negative reviews or, 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 you know, mediocre reviews, I've often gotten a thank you from a, from a filmmaker or from a director or writer, uh, just saying, thank you for taking the time to reading, you know, to, to watching the movie and writing about it. Um, I, you know, I, I think your comments are valid, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's nice. I mean, people, yeah, like I said, everybody knows nobody sets out to make a bad movie, and and uh, you know you just hope for the best. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's very fun to do. So when you were writing the wish list, which I really enjoy, that's a little favorite. Yeah. Uh, so did you? How did you go from not writing to like finishing something? I I feel like especially that first one would be the hardest one to kind of. Birth. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I I had written many spec screenplays up up before that time, and I and I'm kind of the person where I don't start, I don't I don't get too into something if I don't think I'm going to finish it because it's so time consuming. Yeah, and not every idea we have is a winner, you know. And you can you I've outlined entire movies and and thought it would be great, and then I start writing, and I was just like, well, you know, I've seen this before, or this is just not this is just not going to be special, or I can do better, or maybe there's a better story to tell with this seed of an idea. Um, so, uh, but by and large, I, I have always ended up, mostly ended up finishing what I've started in the spec screenplay world, because, you know, you're not writing on assignment, you're writing to hopefully sell it or set it up somehow after the fact. It's very time consuming, you know, and it really, you put so much of yourself into it. So I had written before the wish list, which was uh, 2010, and I had written that a few years before that. Uh, I wrote it as a theatrical screenplay. It did not sell. It was kind of at the point where you know, there was a dovetailing that was happening but in, in the theatrical world where this kind of high concept romantic comedies, high concept comedies in general, dramedies, relationship dramedies, there was slowly not selling as much. 
And that was kind of what I had written mostly. Most of my spec screenplays, and a few of which I had sold and, and a few of which were made, were high concept comedies. You know, they were kind of the Jim Carrey type comedies and yeah. you know, things, that, you know, or, or, the, or the Sandra Bullock romantic comedies, that kind of thing. It was sort of like this slowly fading out, but it, it theatrically, because everything had started to become the bigger movies, the tentpole movies, the, you know, the Marvel movies, all this. But for TV movies, there was suddenly this, this desire to kind of really rev up the romantic comedy world and take what, you know, were hopefully good screenplays if they were written for theatrical and tailor them to the Hallmark audience or, you know, the Lifetime audience or whoever. And so with the wish list, uh, which was about a, for, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's still it's still available, you know, somewhere. Um, it uh, it's about a woman who makes a list of everything she wants in the, the perfect man and will accept no substitutes. And of course, after she makes the list, she meets the man who's the anti-list, and he is absolutely nothing like the list. And she falls for him anyway. And it's the, and it's her choice between the list and the anti-list. She meets the, the guy, her boyfriend already is the list. And the, the barista that she meets at the local coffee shop is the anti-list. And, you know, sparks fly. So, you know, we, we tailored it, uh, you know, to for, more for a Hallmark audience. Um, but the story and characters basically stayed the same. And it did well. And it was fun. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was the, the idea of finishing things is very daunting because a lot of people... The, the problem is with screenwriting and often, you know, other types of writing is that it's easy to start off but it's kind of hard when you get to the middle of something and that's why you really have to you know be clear about general story structure and you have to know where you're going you may not have to know everything but for me I at least need to know what's going to happen uh, at the act breaks or what's going to happen you know quarter of the way through the movie half the way through the movie three quarters of the way through the movie the end you know just kind of the big moments and then you know you you kind of uh, weave it along from there and often there are surprises. I mean, uh, you know, writing movies, suddenly you have your outline and then suddenly a character says something. It's like, wow, where did that come from? But that's great. I like that. I'm going to keep that going. And that begins a little bit of a new thread for you. So it's a, it's a surprise. And then you hope if you're surprised, the viewer is surprised. Well, I should tell our listeners that if they're interested more about the wish list, we did a whole, uh, we have a series called On Friendship. Uh, uh-huh. We did a whole episode just on that movie. So people should oh, check I out. Oh, yeah, I'll have to send you the link. Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, we, the only thing, I mean, we enjoyed the movie, uh, but I still think she deserves to have her coffee however she wants it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but it's, it's fun. But yeah, I was going to ask you, are you a pantser or a plotter? It sounds like you're mostly a plotter. I'm mostly a plotter, although when I wrote, I'm more of a plotter with, with a screenplay because I, they, they're so finite. You know, the page count is kind of finite and, and the structure is pretty, you know, you, you kind of have to say to the structure, which generally you should. I mean, it's kind of movie structure is just the way stories are told. It's classic storytelling structure, essentially. And, you know, I like to have everything in place and then you can mess it up a little bit, but it's harder to have something messy and then clean it up. So that's kind of how I do it. So it's more plotty. I have to say, when I wrote my first novel, I, it was more pan, I was more of a pantser. Uh, I knew what I wanted to write about. I knew my main character. I kind of knew the journey I wanted to take him on, but it, I really did. And I knew where I was going to end up, but I didn't really know all the time where I was going. And that just kind of presented itself along the way. So that was interesting. And there are a lot of surprises in that book. And uh, I think it's because I was surprised when I wrote it. Um, my second book, Then Mother I Never Had, was more, it's a, it's a little, uh, the story is a little, it's a bit of a mystery, it's a drama, but there's a little bit of a mystery to it. So 
pieces had to be laid in a little bit differently. And so I did more outlining on that. But even then, I, you know, I, I, I went in a lot of directions I, I didn't expect to. Um, and of course, then my editors, my book editors, then they would pull things back. So, you know, my first book went from Last Birthday Party went from from 98,000 words in its first manuscript to 84,000 words when it was published, um, all for the better. So, you know, that was maybe if I was a little, if I hadn't pantsed as much on that, I would, it wouldn't have been as long, but, you know, uh, it's just, just the, it was just the process on that. Yeah. Interesting. So you wrote Hitch for the Holidays and, and it gets on the poster behind you. <laughs> so this one, you have a character that's Jewish character that celebrates Christmas and they both make, they, they the fake dating is so yeah. fun we love yeah. that of course uh so how did you end up writing this and did you face any kind of resistance about having basically the first hanukkah rom-com that i or that's involving hanukkah that i know of yeah well it, it was funny i mean the, the uh, wish um hitch for the holidays came out in 2012 so that was kind of early in the Christmas movie cycle. I mean, yeah. many Christmas movies were being made, but not like it is today. I mean, what, this year alone, how many Christmas movies have been produced? It's like the number was like 140 or something. Yeah, something you know, like all, that. All, all, all told, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's become a, you know, kind of a, a cottage industry. Um, but yeah. back then there were fewer, they had them, but I mean, they were just, they weren't as, you know, explosive in numbers as they are now. Um, and Hitch of the Holidays was, uh, began as a, spe a theatrical spec screenplay also. And it was one script that I probably got the most amount of attention for of any of the spec screenplays. I probably had gone out with 10 spec screenplays, you know, over the course of time. And that one probably got the even even more than the ones that sold. It got the more attention, even though it didn't sell as a theatrical script. And everybody really thought it was, it was just funny, you know, and, and it was kind of unique. So it didn't get made theatrically for whatever reason, but it was written as a big New York Christmas comedy. But then when Hallmark saw it, as I, as I had worked for Hallmark, I had done a few films for them at that point. I think by then I had written maybe three, four films for them. They loved the script. And I think it was just the uniqueness of it that that appealed to them at the time. And they were, I think they were, um, you know, the, the idea that it was Hanukkah and Christmas, uh, it just worked. It was really, I just think because it was so funny and, and because the characters were so vivid, um, that really helped. Um, and I have to say, you know, even though, again, that started as a theatrical script, we uh, we turned it into the, the uh, Hallmark version of it, but it really, really re remained. And we had a wonderful director on it too, Mike Scott, and and great cast, um, Emily Hampshire and and um, uh, and Joey Lawrence, and uh, and the supporting cast was great too. And they really brought it to life in such a, a, an amazing way. But uh, the the script really, really re retained. Uh, it's humor and the setups and, and the complications and all that, I think, in a great way. So, yeah, I, I think it was a little early in the Christmas movie process for them. So maybe, you know, it was a little more just, uh, you know, um, feeling their way with it. I don't know. But uh, it's still a still a fan favorite mm -hmm. and uh, one of the favorite one of my favorite things that I've written. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really fun. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. From the hosts of the podcast Home for Hallmark, Molly and Brad now bring readers their debut novel, If Only Christmas Would Come. An instant Amazon bestseller, If Only Christmas Would Come, transferred readers back to Prince Edward Island during the era of Anne of Green Gables and features a strong-headed, 
cranberry farming, jeans wearing heroine, and a playboy with a family secret. Reviewers agree this book is a fluffy, steamy, predictable Hallmark movie masterpiece. If only Christmas would come, available on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble now. Visit at Home for Hallmark for more info. That's at Home for Hallmark, and you can use our affiliate link in the description below. Then you have my boyfriend's dogs. Now this yeah. one is very different. I feel yeah. like, I mean, just the whole structure around it and the, uh, you know, telling all of these different love stories. And I mean, it must've been hard to combine them all into, you know, the 85 minutes that you have for a, a Hallmark movie, but yeah. then also to keep the characters likable and, you know, just all the balancing acts that you have for this movie. Yeah, well, that was a challenging uh, a script because it was based on a book uh, okay. by uh, Dandy uh, McCall. I, I'm going to mess up her name anyway. It, it was a, a terrific book. Oh, yeah. Really, really fun. And, um, but it, it had a lot of, a lot, go, a lot going on in it. Yeah. It was a, a woman who dates uh, three different men who each have a dog and it's kind of about her relationship with the men and the dogs, but the structure is a little bit different. Uh, and there was a lot of compressing that needed to do. And I've, I've adapted a number of books for, um, you know, into movies and, you know, a book, even though it could be, uh, it's not necessarily written like a movie. Uh, so you have to kind of find the skeleton of the story. And what really works, and and what idea attracted uh, you know Hallmark or whoever to to um, you know to to want to move forward with the story, and then you find the blueprint of the of the um, of the story. So with that, it took a lot of re reconfiguring script. Also, there was an original script, and then I rewrote that script, and so it was a like a lot of reconfiguring, um, you know, to get it to move it forward. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was. Um, uh you find the way you find the way in a movie like that to make to keep people unique because you have three different boyfriends you know and you want to make sure that they each have their their personalities as written and that the act and that i think they found really really great actors to do it and everybody was a little unique um and erica christensen was the lead and she was great uh yeah yeah but they, the the adaptations are challenge are challenging but fun also because you have something to work with you know at a certain point the script ends up taking over the book it's just kind of the natural way but again like you know anything any of my own scripts i've adapted to hallmark movies you want to try to retain, you know, what's best about the original material and and what inspired people about that original material, and not throw out, what do they say, throw out the baby with the bathwater kind of thing. It takes it takes a little extra juggling, but you know, in the end, uh, you know, I, I I love my boyfriend's dogs. I think it's really a fun movie. Yeah, I do too. So then you have Royally Ever After, which I'm curious about. Did they come to you and say, hey, we've got the royal wedding, we need royal 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 movies this year, or did it just sort of work out? Uh, well, they, they, that was kind of, the, there was a string of Royal movies that, yes, you know, that there were six, they had done. I think, that um, year. Yeah. And this was, honestly, this was, I was brought in to rewrite the script. I was one of several writers on it. I was brought in to rewrite the script. So ultimately, I think they, you know, there was like a sort of a combination oh, okay. of scripts and the evolution of the story uh, into what ended up being, I think also a really, really entertaining movie. But that was a little, a little different process, but that, that was at the time where they were doing a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Royal comedies. Yeah. Well, because of the real wedding, uh, yeah. this one was different, a little bit different because it was about an existing couple. So it wasn't like there wasn't a meet cute or right. 
a you know they they start out yeah it, it was a reveal beginning. it was a reveal cute you know, yeah like, reveal cute oh, by the way i'm a prince <laughs> yeah come in so that was fun you also had forever christmas and this one this wasn't for a hallmark they ended up putting it on it was mr three's it wasn't Mr. 365. It was yeah. it was based on a book. I had read uh, a friend of mine introduced me to this author. Oh, yeah, um, Ruth Clampett. Named Ruth Clampett. And um and she was delightful and uh, she had written a, a number of rom-coms and as as novels. And uh, I, I read Mr. 365 because it was about a man who celebrates Christmas every day of the year and I was like, well there's a movie. There's got to be a oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Right, TV <laughs> movie in that, right? Uh yeah. Christmas movie in that. Um, so, uh, I optioned the book and I actually had the book for, for several years before we got a bite on it. And, and ultimately, um, a production company, uh, picked it up and produced it for passion flicks, which yeah. is a, a streaming service primarily geared toward women. It's kind of like a Netflix for women kind of thing. They kind of emphasize the steaminess of, of, of things in a bit. I, I don't know if they still have it, but they had a steam, a steamy, a steamy meter, you know, in terms of steamy this stuff was. So, uh, so we called it Mr. Three Sixty Five, um, and I took out all. I, I took out basically most of the, the real steaminess. The book was very steamy, but yeah. I took out most of that steaminess, uh, but kept a lot more steam in it than than you know you normally yeah. see. And we had such two like gorgeous leads, and and uh, <laughs> you know, it really brought so much to it. And they were great. They're so talented. Um, yeah, and uh, and so it became a movie called Mr. Three Sixty Five. It premiered on Passion Flicks in 2018, I think it was 2018. Uh, it did well for them. It went to Amazon Prime. And then, then uh, it was picked up internationally the year after. And then two years later in 2020, Lifetime picked it up and it became a new Lifetime movie, um, you know, a, new, a new to them uh, movie. But they edited Christmas. it. They made it not as steamy. They must have. There was probably there was like one scene that was that was a little extra steamy. So they probably they probably uh, edited that. I think I actually may have written a version that was a little less steamy, or just to designate where we could cut if we had to. But it was still it was still pretty sexy. I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that this was the perfect role for Christopher Russell. Oh like, my god! Yeah, he, yeah, it's great. Yeah, he yeah. is just so charming so good yes. in the movie perfect perfect yeah and yeah. he was able to play that kind of you know noble guy you know sort of you know a sweet but fun but no noble and you know no nonsense kind of guy he really balanced it really well and chelsea Hobbs was fantastic I mean, she's yeah. just you know, terrific so that ended up being retitled forever christmas um when it was actually retitled forever christmas when it went international because they didn't feel mr 365 might translate so because he he um, uh, celebrates Christmas every day of the year. I, I suggested the title Forever Christmas, and there it went. And then it was uh, released in Canada and abroad um, that year. And then then they retained Forever Christmas, the title for um, uh, for Lifetime. And it's and I think last year it played a lot on Lifetime as well. I think they re ran it again last year. I don't know about this year, but yeah. is it kind of surreal when you get a chance to watch your words up on on the screen? When you see it and you're like, it's there, yeah. it's done. I wrote that. Well, you know what? It's a excuse me, it's a real kick and it's really so gratifying and fun. And what's best about it is when you get talented actors and you they I, I could call it like putting their hand in the glove, you know, they 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 take your words and they just 
go with it, you know, and they make them even better and even funnier and do things that you never expected. And that's the joy of it. I mean, I just love, I, I've done a lot of, I've written a lot of stage plays and, and worked in theater a lot. And, you know, it's, a, that's so much fun because every night it's different. And I've written mostly comedies for theater and, and, you know, some nights you get a, a big laugh on something that's not necessarily that funny. And then other nights you don't get a laugh on something that really is funny. And sometimes it all comes together. But I always love it when one of the actors will just do something nutty, you know, with your words and it just clicks, you know, or they'll just just put accent on a different syllable, even if by accident, and it just clicks. So yeah, it's so, it's so much fun to see. And and, uh, and also look, you know, as writers, you know, we, we spend a lot of time alone, you know, at our computers in a room or a coffee house or where, wherever. And the opportunity to be able to see your words come to life, whether honestly, I, I've had a lot of stage readings of my of my scripts and plays, and even those, you know, in front of an audience are, are incredibly wonderful. You know, it's, it's just so much fun. You know, and and uh, and I've been very fortunate to see you know to see a lot of things made, and and uh, you know, there are, it's always uh, it's always happy surprises along along the way, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Ho, ho, ho. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Patreon. Do you love Hallmarkies podcasts, especially at Christmas? Do you enjoy the holiday previews, recaps, interviews, and bonus episodes? If the answer is yes, please consider supporting the Hallmarkies Patreon. We need your help to do what we do both during the Christmas season and all year round. But not only do you help a podcast led by strong, independent women by becoming a Patreon, you get to become a part of the Hallmarkies family. Starting at only $2 a month as a patron, you will have access to our Facebook Patreon group where we talk about the movies, shows, and more all year. We also have many monthly patron watch-alongs with guests like Lacey Chabert, Natalie Hall, Paul Campbell, Mary Lou Henner, and more, giving their behind-the-scenes details of their films. As a patron, you also have the chance to provide input into the podcast and even join us at different tiers. So this Christmas season, spread some cheer to the Hallmarkies Patreon and become a member today. You won't regret it. Go to patreon.com slash Hallmarkies to learn more. That's patreon.com slash Hallmarkies. I can imagine. It would be super, super cool to see that happen. Uh, So you have, you said you have a new book. Uh, yes. mother I never had mother I never uh, had. It, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about it yeah it's a a family drama um about a man who 30 year old landscape designer living in LA whose father dies and uh not unexpectedly but fairly suddenly and the father's in his early 60s and the father raised him uh as a single dad from basically birth and he's very close to his dad. He's, the dad is a great guy. He's charming, handsome, smart. He's a literature professor at a college here outside LA. And so the son, you know, it's very traumatic when he when he passes and the and the son is kind of like putting his life back together. And a woman comes into his life, uh, hires basically hires him to to landscape her house kind of anonymously. And uh, over the course of time, he discovers that he has a mother that he never knew existed. And his father, and what he learns is that his father had lied to him his entire life and was hiding the secret about who his mother actually was. And he was led to believe his mother was a woman who died in childbirth. And that's why the father raised him his entire life, um, when in fact that was not true. And there's a kind of a, a, a reason why the father did this and why 
the woman who's actually his mother, you know, did not come after him. And now that the father's gone, uh, she's allowed to do that. And the whole, the whole, the book is really about what do you do as a, an adult, an adult orphan, essentially, when you find yourself with a parent for the very first time. And how do you, how do you, how do you integrate that stranger into your life when they come in on kind of this bed of secrets and lies, you know, and, and it, it's, a, it's really the story of idols falling and, and how this guy who's really kind of tortured by all of this, a good guy, but he's making a lot of bad decisions and how he ultimately gets his life together, you know, with, with, with this new parent or not, it's, it's a kind of a seesawing thing between them. At the same time, he has a girlfriend who is very kind of on and off again, again, off again. And uh, it's through the relationship with the the, 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 the evolution of the relationship with the mother and himself internally that allows him to deal with the, with the, his romantic relationship properly. So there's a lot going on and it's a, it's a kind of a profound story, I, I hope. Um, I have to say, uh, and what was really cool was that when my editor first read the book, I, you know, I was concerned as somebody who's written mostly comedies and dramedy. Um, I've written some thrillers and mysteries and things over the time, but, you know, primarily I'm, uh, you know, I'm a comedy guy. And, um, uh, she said to me, wow, she says, you really found humor in the darkest places in this book. And I was like, wow, that's great. You know, I just, I love to hear that because I didn't want the book to be heavy or, you know, overwhelming or anything. It's a very, it's not a sentimental book in any way, but it's very emotional, very deeply emotional people to invest in it. But also I wanted it to be, have a, have a buoyancy to it. So that was really helpful. And it's funny because a lot of people who read it, nobody ever says, oh, it's, you know, it's too heavy or anything. What they come out with is, you know, I laughed, I cried, you know, that kind of thing, which was, which was great. That story just was, it came from a very, very seed of an idea that I had, I've had for many years. Um, involving after my own mother died when I was 30. Thoughts I had about it back then. And it kind of, I just uh, tucked it away. And eventually it sort of evolved in a very, very different way into, into this book. So yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And uh, it's out there now, available everywhere books are sold. Well, congratulations. That's such a thank huge you. accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it sounds really good. We'll have all the information in the description. People can uh, can check out the, the book, Mother I Never Had. Right. Yes. Very good. All right. Well, let's dive in to Lights, Camera, Christmas. Got lots Hello. of questions yes. about this movie. I've seen it. I enjoyed it. And I'm curious about how this movie happened. Did you write sort of a satire of Hallmark or did they come to you and say, hey, this is what we want. Can you do it? Or is it a mixture of both? Yeah. Uh, actually, what happened was I, I a couple of years ago, I, I I love titles and sometimes I, I just come up with a title and then I find something to pair it with. Um, and just, the title hit me lights, camera, Christmas. Although I have to say more recently, I realized that it's not such a new title. It's been, the, the concept has been used not as a movie title, but it's been used in like articles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I came up with this, this title. I thought, okay, what can I do with that? And then I was like, well, I haven't really seen, I don't think I've seen any movies about movies, movies, Christmas movies being shot the making of a Christmas movie. We yeah. obviously, obviously being Christmas movies in Christmas movies, but not this concept. And I thought that might be really fun. And and ultimately I pitched it to a production company called Lighthouse, uh, Lighthouse Production Pictures in Canada. Um, and uh, with an executive there, Kevin Leeson, who I was looking to do something with. And, and uh, he loved the idea. He pitched it to Hallmark. They really liked the idea. And, and it evolved, you know, and then I ultimately, uh, uh, they put it into development. I wrote uh, several outlines 
uh, to get it to a place to start writing the script. They greenlit the script. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the structure of it is it's a little bit different in that uh, we had this framing device of set at the premiere of the actual movie within the movie. And if anybody's ever been to a, a you know, the kind of screening, not a premiere, you know, big premiere, star-studded premiere, but just like a screening of a movie where the cast and the crew is there and a panel and they're being interviewed and they're just talking about the movie. It's always fascinating because everybody has a little bit of a different take on everything. You learn, you you get to see these actors that are that you just watched on screen be real people uh, or their version of real people at that moment for, for a big audience. And this happens in the movie, it's in a big theater and you know, it's a, a you know great screening of it. Um, and that, and so to use that, so we thought about different ways of telling the story. And that, that was one of the ideas that actually everybody seemed to like the best in terms of the framing device. And so we end up flashing back on the story on, on the, on the kind of chronological making of the movie and telling that story, but flashing back through the questions that are asked by the audience at the, at the premiere. So pretty much every act of the movie begins with a question or, or, or the answer to a question and flashing back on, on how we got there. So it, it was, it was a fun way to write it and a little bit different than a different way to tell it. And it also, it's the kind of movie, not to give any spoilers, but you know, it's the kind of movie where, where things don't work, things don't kind of work their way out as as usual as regularly as they usually do. So I mean, you know, it's it's a, you know it's no spoiler to say it's a happy ending movie, but but you know the, the kind of the the twists and turns it, it was allowed to take because of this framing device, and and we jump time at the very end from the end of the filming of the movie to the premiere of the movie. You know, you, you kind of that's that's kind of where we what what section butts up against the next section. Um, it made for a really fun way to tell the story, you know, and, and listen, you've got a lot of story to tell in, in a relatively short amount of time. And it's how you kind of really get the, 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 the meat of the story out and adding the framing device takes up time. So, uh, you know, it, it, uh, uh, it, that was a little more challenging, but ultimately a really, really fun way to do it. And, uh, and the actors in it were great. Kimberly Sestad and, oh. and John Brotherton and all the supporting actors were, were terrific. Um, and again, and again, you know, really brought things to it. I mean, I think the, the movie is pretty funny. I mean, we certainly leaned into the humor and the comedy and the fish out of waterness of all of it. But the actors brought a lot to it that, you know, that really they, they really helped make it their own. I really, really appreciate that. Well, and I felt like it was more satirizing Hallmark 2014, 2016 yeah. than it was like current Hallmark. It was right. almost like Hallmark right. looking back because I mean, I they haven't done a Santa movie in Hallmark for so long right. uh, that 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 it really, to me, it, it was kind of, I felt like Hallmark kind of looking back at itself and saying like, this is what we used to do. Yeah, making fun yeah. Of it a little bit. I, I think it was really more, I don't know if that was intentional or anything, but I, uh -huh. I think it was, I think it was really more about just the, the Christmas movie world and and kind of, you know, uh, we take a, a slightly generic approach to Christmas, the Christmas movie world uh, so that, you know, we don't lean in too heavily on one thing or another. But um, even like the titles of, of the movies that he's been in, you know, uh, when the mother, when uh, Nancy oh, rattles yeah. off the titles, you know. I was going to ask know. you about these titles. Actually. Yeah, I know. It was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's uh, uh no business like snow business yes <laughs> you had the christmas yeah. clock hello christmas chattanooga christmas there's no christmas like snow christmas and the christmas right. cook-off is what right. I <laughs> right. yeah. well the funny thing was coming up with with titles that 
you know, could have been real titles for Christmas yeah, oh, movies yeah. that, have, that haven't been done. So, you yeah. know, you, you came up with all these titles. And I was like, wow, they did that. They actually did that. They actually called the movie that, you know, I think I'm being funny and and it's actually been used. So we kind of, you know, yeah. ran between the drops and, and, uh, and found the, uh, the titles, but they were really, really fun. I, I, I love so many people, you know, have commented, oh, I loved it. It's no Christmas like Snow Christmas. Yeah. I want to see that movie. They will have to make it. Was it hard to know kind of how far to go? Because, I mean, like you could have had the movie like set it in the summer, you know, because mm-hmm. that's when most of these are filmed. Right. Um, and have, you know, everybody in summer on the set on in summer right. clothes, except for the actors or like they're there. You could like, I feel like you could have pushed it even harder. So how did you yeah. know? Like, I, I really enjoyed it, but how did you know where to kind of, okay, this is sort of the line that we have for it? Right. Right. I think it came kind of naturally. It's a really good question. I think it came kind of naturally. And, and uh, you know, in the in the beginning, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessarily right shot in, you know, right before Christmas. But from a production standpoint, you know, and, and a thematic standpoint, it, it seemed to work, ultimately work the best way, the way, you know, the way, way we ended up doing it. The key with it is to, I mean, for me in writing it and, and loving Christmas movies and writing them and just, you know, really loving rom-coms to begin with, um, you know, it's how do you, how do you honor the thing that people love so much? How do you honor the Christmas movie? But then how do you also at the same time be kind of honest about it and satirize, it's not satirizing it as, as much as just sort of like, just laying it all out there. What these, you know, how, why people love these movies and the reasons that they do it and when there's a person who doesn't quite get them like like uh carrie's character like kimberly's character uh, carrie like kimberly's character in the movie you know when she said but <laughs> when i'm laughing at my own joke terrible <laughs> um but when nancy said you know rattles off the you know the titles of the movies and 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 you know Kelly, carrie says uh, you know he she says she, I, I, they, they don't register. And, and, and Nancy says, you live with me. How can you not know these movies? And, and she's, I know they all kind of run together. You know, it's sort of yeah, like, I think yeah. that's a, a kind of, it's not a dig. It's just a very, it's a very real comment, I think. So it's finding that balance of, of like honoring the movies, why people love the movies, why some people are a little suspicious. And then ultimately it is the movies, the, the, the concept of movies, but particularly Christmas movies, that brings the joy into into Carrie's life and changes it for the better. You know, so there's a little magical element there too. But yeah, it was a fine line. You know, we wanted to to you know have a little fun with it, but also honor honor a, a genre that's become so beloved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So John Brotherton brought so much to this movie. Uh, so he was so funny. The perfect casting for this yes. over the top movie star. And, <laughs> Uh, so did when once he got cast did you kind of change things at all around like um, it just seemed to fit him so perfectly I know, not a thing it was just it not was just perfect, perfect casting he yeah. just did stuff with that that you know it was just i mean it was written as you know it was performed as written i mean there's probably ad living along the way you know they, they yeah. lose something up a little bit you know which is always great and that's where some of the great humor comes from but a lot of it is just you know some actors just have that ability to, to kind of, again, it's that hand and glove thing I was talking about. They just have that ability to, to run with something and they know what you're going for and they know how to make it their own, you know, and that's what makes it so special. You know, yeah. and, you know, as a writer, you have a certain actor, not, not 
not a not a specific actor, but you have like an image of what, what the actor is going to be look like, what they're going to be like. And then then when the actor is chosen, it's so, always so great to see how that matches matches or doesn't match. And invariably, it turns out the better. And and with John, it was just he was just hilarious and totally. But see, the thing is, and he totally knew how to make that. Ken, that was the trick of that character to 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 we ended to to kind of play up with and and lean into the 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 self-absorption of that actor but also keep him likable and keep him and so when he makes that transition into a real person it's not such so jarring it's like yeah i yeah. was there he's putting that on you take off the sunglasses and he's really a regular guy you know or and, yeah. and even though he may not really be that regular at least he's accessible you know yeah. and we relate to him and we have fun with him and that's a, a real tribute to what john brought to it it's true he even says that in the end you made me real yeah yeah, yeah. This is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my other favorite part was anything with Jill and Caleb and their oh, daughter yeah. Jamie. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jill and Caleb really could have been their own movie. I mean, they yeah. Just, oh, know, yeah. It was, it was really so. fun. Well, the fun thing about that is that it it really helped give some dimension to the the concept of movie making and 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 romance and relationships. And there's not, I wouldn't say there's a parallel between Caleb and John. Just the viewers. Caleb and Jill are the filmmaking team. They're uh, uh, formerly husband and wife. They've been divorced a couple of years. They're brought back together. Jill is the, uh, the writer-director. Caleb is the producer. Together, this couple has produced, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 Christmas movies. And they, but they, once they split apart, they stopped being hired as a team. And it was the team, that, them as a team, that really made them successful. So they're brought back together on this film, which is an old script of, of, uh, of um, uh, Jill's that uh, that came back around that this new network wants to wants to do as to kick off their Christmas movies. Um, so they're brought back together. And 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 it's kind of about that relationship. And they they literally can't stand each other and they can't be in the same room together. So they have an interpreter. They have their assistant um, who uh, is literally has to run interference and talk and they have to talk through the interpreter, the, through yeah. the assistant <laughs> to talk to the other person until the point where the walls start breaking down and they realize they're actually talking to each other without the assistant being there, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but that I was fun. I, yeah. Yeah. I, Jamie was hilarious. I really, yeah. that whole thing was really funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, yeah. will you yeah. tell Caleb? That? <laughs> yeah, it was very good. Yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. And, and uh, uh, yeah, but even then, you know, trying to make that real, you know, trying to, trying to make us understand what it was that I, I'm always fascinated in, in, I've written about this a lot in, in different forms, but I'm always fascinated by the concept of what brings people together romantically and what splits them apart. How do people go from being, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you, love, honor, and obey, et cetera, to, I can't even be in the same room as you. I mean, how yeah. does that happen? How do people do that? You know, what, yeah. what, 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 how does it break down? And, you know, partly my theory is that a lot of what draws us to somebody in the beginning romantically are the same things. If you just turn them on their ear, yeah. are the things that split people apart, you know, the person who's like super organized and can take care of you like nobody else and get stuff done, you know, and that, you know, the, 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 the husband or wife loves that in the other person that can become something very different over the course of time, you know, when, it, when things, when emotions and things extrapolate, you know, so I'm always interested in that. And, and I tried to explore that a little bit with Caleb and Jill and, and, and those actors were terrific too. They did a really great job with them. Well, that's what makes enemies to lovers such a, a great trope, you know, it's yeah. got all the way back to prime prejudice. And even before that, right. you know, that, uh, that the, uh, the things that 
kind of turn you off at first. It, like this is the same passion, just one yeah. is hate and one is love. Right, right, and even in, even with uh, um, you know carrying bread, you know it's uh, it's that kind of thing where like the the, the thing that that Carrie immediately doesn't like about him, you know, those ultimately that him being able to be that way ultimately gives him the, the, the ability to be the other way too. You know, it's like, we all have our mm -hmm. good points and bad points. And, and sometimes the things that are a little negative about us also make the positive things, you know, the, the person who's larger than life and makes anybody sitting, standing in front of them feel like a million bucks at that moment, may, there may not be a lot of resonance beyond that moment, but boy, in that moment, do you feel good when you're around that person? And that's, you know, that's kind of, kind of what, what we have here, but we do peel away the layers of that onion with him and, you know, get to the, get to the real guy. Well, and there were a lot of fun moments. I mean, I don't think this is, obviously it's not like true to actual like filmmaking, but like there were some fun moments, like uh, when they have the whole scene at the craft services. Yeah. They're all like fighting over it. That was funny to enough actors to know that yeah, the craft services brighten up many a day. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. And of course you want to show, I mean, it, when you have to, the key was also not to have too much taking place during the actual filming of the movie. So, mm -hmm. so, but when you had to have people be on the movie set, uh, you know, you had to figure out what else, what, what else happens beyond filming so of course oh, there's smart. there's food there's lunch there's craft service there's you know just when she's costuming like, the, the costume fittings you're just even walking out of the costume trailer i mean all of that kind of fine is to, to, we actually you know we would think of some scenes where to take them off the set and have the same emotion and the same activity happen within the filming the the, the shooting of the film or that is during production but not movie within a movie kind of thing you know or not while we're watching them film so you know we, we were able to do that as well and you know so it doesn't become too movie centric but just enough to you know to give you the, the real flavor of what happens yeah well i uh, also really enjoyed laura soltis as the mom oh, yeah and <laughs> she's so good i love her Same. in these movies and yes. and she, this was just a really fun role for her i thought playing this kind of fangirl yeah yeah, no, she she's totally solid and and you know she was just her expressions were great. I love just in the beginning when she wants to tell ask she's the first person to raise her hand to ask the question at the Q and A and Carrie's like mortified. Oh yeah, mom's <laughs> it down. It's like and of course what what is you know she asked the question about her daughter's costumes. You know I love the costumes in the movie. Can you talk about this? as if, as if she's just an average person sitting yeah. in, the, in the office? Yeah, yeah that was, was fun. Another of my favorite scenes was the dinner. He gets the pizza in from New York, uh -huh, right? And uh, and then they dance. Yeah, and uh, that was Very that was a, we get an early kiss for a movie like this. Yes, yes. that was very yes, swoonworthy. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, it was very. And you know, and we kept the kind of the the movie theme going. They're doing yes. a, they're having a dinner on a set, you know, yes. and and there's the the, the snow fake snow being dropped down on them. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like in Singing in the Rain when he's got to set the mood before. Yes. <laughs> he's like, I'm I such a ham. That. <laughs> love that, love that comparison. Yeah. Was it was it hard to balance the story with the like with the jokes? Like making sure you weren't like too joke heavy versus like telling the story. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think you know in comedy, some of the best comedy um, is character comedy you yeah know, something that's natural so you're not like just you're not like sitcom comedy where you're putting out a joke topping the joke you know punchline set up punchline that kind of thing this the the humor 
in in a movie like this and a lot of the rom-coms that I've written, you know, hopefully it comes from character and it's by, by characters as being a certain way, kind of what what their deal is, what what they're kind of doing wrong as a person, how they need to, how it gets fixed along the way, and what are the ways we see that, and what are their reactions that are so so uh, you know kind of matched with their what I call the misbehavior, you know, what they're doing wrong. How how what how those reactions just natural reactions to things and if they're funny and and you know you you give characters you know try to give characters these these flaws that are fixable but we recognize in people you know and just even even like her reaction when when at the beginning when uh, uh, um, Carrie and Nancy are in Carrie's store and Nancy works with her in the store you know and Nancy's so excited she's looking out the window everything's being set up for the movie and she's like you know. Uh, I, you know, I'm so excited. I can't stand it, you know, that they're doing this. And Carrie's reaction, you know, as not a Christmas movie fan is like, well, me, I just can't stand it, you know, and it's not a setup joke. It's just something that she would have said. And hopefully it's funny, you know, so, so you try to find the real humor in the situations and, and, and set up those situations so that there's some inherent humor in them, con you know, the, the right kind of comic conflict um, and keeping it, keeping it funny. So also the key with 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 this this movie, any romantic comedy and, and most comedies is finding grounded moments of reality, because the more real realism you can have, the more real emotions that that people can can show, the more you sell those comic moments, you know, because they feel earned and they feel they feel real and they feel like they're coming from real people like any of us would make a spontaneous joke in our, in, you know, at, you know, just among friends or people or family, whatever. So that's kind of the key of, key of it. it. It comes kind of naturally, ultimately, as you write them after a certain period of time. But, you know, also, uh, you know, I, I'm not adverse to the corny joke or the or the pun or something. And, you know, sometimes I'll pull back on that when it's like, oh, that's just, it's, you know, that's too, that's, 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 that's beyond what we need, you know, may make me laugh, but it may not be right for the film. You know, you, you, you judge it, you know, and then again, again, a lot of things you write that are not particularly funny. The actor makes it funny just because of how they express it or their reaction, their facial reaction or something. So yeah, it's a, it's a, a little bit of a balancing act. Yeah. Well, I've always thought it would be hard to write comedy because you go over these, these things so many times when you're writing something. And I, I think I would start to sort of doubt myself and be like, is it funny? It was funny when I first wrote it, but is it funny now after the 15th time I've, you know, ever yeah. by, you know, 50th time. Yeah. I think, I think if you, you, you take away the word funny and just say amusing, you know, that, mm. that takes a lot of the pressure off of, yeah, of there all. you go. And, I'll, and I, I can honestly say, I mean, I may, I may not be the best judge of what I write, you know, objectively, but certainly if I laugh at something, if something, cause I, if I have a choice of what to write and I laugh at something or just something, I get a chuckle out of something. There's probably something there, you know, I'm my own yeah. toughest critic, you know, so, so as a critic, I'm my own toughest critic. I think if I can laugh about it, uh, you know, there's something, there's something there. Hopefully other people will too, but not everything I find funny is necessarily funny. You know, you, yeah. you write a you write a joke, you write something funny and then you get notes back and they go, you know, explain this joke a little more, or is this funny or this really isn't that funny, you know, and then you just keep building on it and you make it better. Sometimes the first joke is you got the idea, but you can, you add a couple of words and it really makes it really makes the line funny. Yeah. So we have to ask about the, the ending with our big wink to the audience. What were you trying to say there with that wink? Uh, just because he's, you know, it's just, it's just the character in his movies. He always does that wink to the camera. And this oh, was just, you know, just, okay. just the match to that, you know, and, and it wasn't like a wink, like, Oh, 
this is all a joke or, oh, oh this was all a dream or, oh, you know, this is not going to work out or stay tuned. It was really just, it was really just supposed to be, you know, just a cute way to, to, to match what he did in the movie to do okay. it. In That's very, very, I get that. That's very, yeah. very cute. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. We'd like to end with some fun, silly Christmas questions. So here we go. What is your favorite holiday drink? Oh, well, um, first of all, I have to say um, that, you know, I am a, a, a an objective observer of Christmas, um, to, for starters, but go to my share of Christmas parties. Yeah. And, and, well, you can you know, answer Hanukkah questions as well. <laughs> I can answer Hanukkah questions. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a Hanukkah drink. Um, <laughs> Hanukkah nog, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like a good eggnog and a good punch as much as anybody does. <laughs> probably, there we go. I'd probably say that, yeah. Well, what is one of your favorite cookie or treat? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I know, you know there are I, Hanukkah, there are Hanukkah cookies. I know there those. are Hanukkah cookies. <laughs> yeah, there are Hanukkah cookies. You know, they they can they can be just okay. <laughs> uh, I I love a good trifle. You know, Jerry's mm. trifle in the big bowl. I love that. There's you know there's, there's always some kind of uh, you know uh, brandy in it or something within yeah. it. Very tasty. I really like that. I'm a big chocolate person, so you know I just love anything with chocolate. If somebody can put together a great chocolate cake, I like that. Yeah, uh, certainly I've had my share of great Christmas cookies. I, I like anything with almonds. I've always eaten a lot of like almond Christmas cookies. Those are really good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, and back for Hanukkah, um, I'm trying to think of other Hanukkah um, um, desserts. Hopefully most of the desserts are just good to begin with, whatever, whatever you know, with the, the, for yeah. the holiday. But yeah. Well, there's those cookies. I forget what they're called, the, the cookies with the filling. Yeah, hamantashen. Yes, yes, yes. Those are good. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah. All right. Well, what is your favorite classic holiday film? Oh, well, that that's a question I can't answer. Um, well, listen, you know, I, I mentioned It's a Wonderful Life and yeah. Lights, Camera, Christmas. It's certainly one of my favorites. I am I still love the original Miracle on 34th Street. I always catch that. I think that's great. Love Actually is, you know, I think one of the, one of the great ones. I thought of as a Christmas movie per se, but yet it is because it was all set at Christmas and you know, so much of it was set at Christmas and it really has become kind of a Christmas classic. So I love those. Elf is great. Um, you know, I certainly have not, not to, not to weigh it in any direct one direction or other, but I still have my share of, of favorite Hallmark Christmas movies and other Christmas movies, TV movies I've yeah. seen that I, I really like. Uh, yeah. They're always, they're always really fun. Christmas story, of course, is, you mm-hmm. know, you know, is a great one. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, even things that are, you know, like set at the hall. I, mean, I, I have, I love some of the Thanksgiving movies, like um, uh, uh, Planes, Trains, Planes, Trains, Automobiles. Absolutely, yeah. Home for the Holidays, the Jodie Foster okay. movie with uh, uh, Holly Hunter and Anne Bancroft. That's a great movie. Um, 
yeah yeah and then yeah. there's the new Year's movies you know the movies that, that are set on new year's there's, yeah. there's some, some uh, tom hanks meg ryan movie that, that i think and i guess it's when harry met sally you know when harry met sally Bill Billy Billy Crystal. Crystal. Yeah, yeah. Meg ryan. yeah i love that that's a good one. Uh, well, you know, Christmas, even if a home movie isn't set at Christmas, when it when it can veer into the Christmas season at some point and New Year's and you get that Carter of time, uh, it's always so vivid because it's such a it's such an emotionally charged time. You know, it's a time when people are yeah. either really happy or kind of wistful or nostalgic or there's so, such a great emotion that comes out of, of some sort of a range of emotions that come yeah. out of um that come out of uh you know that, that that period of time and i think that's i think that's partly i mean people there's a great joy of christmas and the celebration of christmas but i think there's the emotional connection that people have to christmas or hanukkah kwanzaa anything that the family a family has anything you've grown up around um anything that a family has celebrated together and that you take with you for your as an adult for your whole life and how you how you replay it as an adult, you know, do you take what you did as a child? Do you turn it into your own, you know, uh, you know, certainly growing myself, growing up, uh, growing up, not celebrating Christmas. I always wanted to celebrate Christmas. I always felt like I was missing out. So my parents would do certain things that were Christmassy just to sort of, you know, just to sort of have fun with it. And I had a Christmas stocking and, you know, we would do things and, you know, and, and, and it was just, you know, you find your way, you know, whatever you celebrate, you find your way of just being a part of the season. And that's the key yeah. thing. People just want to, you know, be a part of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's in kind of the doldrums. Yeah. End of the year. It's cold in a lot of places. Uh-huh. So you, you need that. Pick me up. Yeah. Yeah, whatever, yeah, you whatever holiday and, it is, you need it. Yeah, and also like you know, if, in the business world, things tend to shut down for the for, for so much, uh, you know, so much at the end of the year. So you kind of yeah. really you kind of left spinning without necessarily a lot to do, and you know, and, and also there are a lot of Christmas parties along the way. So you know, starting from office parties in the beginning of December, you know, throughout you know through the holidays. Mm-hmm. So you know, you kind of kind of have to juggle balance that, and you know, and and keep enjoying that, and and uh, you know, not get too weighed down with you know, like in a lot of these movies, it's sort of like the Christmas parties that happen, the office party. It's like, oh, here we are again. The the original idea for Hitch for the Holidays came from uh, we were having our own Christmas holiday party, Christmas Eve party here at, at the house, and and I was looking at number of the sing- people who were single who who uh you know I, I who i would say to myself i said to myself i observe and i said i'm just so grateful that i'm partnered you know that i have paired off because the the holidays are just a tough time to be alone and then i i came up with this idea of what what happens if these two people are alone and they're forced together for the holidays for many external reasons and of course for each other in the process but um that's where that came from and that to me is always really important that that people uh you know people if if they need people during the holidays that they have them you know and 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 can enjoy the holiday don't you know don't have to be alone for the holidays and and, and that's one of the beauties beautiful parts of the holidays that it does bring people together so um yeah, yeah. As yeah. a fellow single, as a, as a single American, my dream is to have a fake relationship someday. <laughs> Listen, the fake relationships are easy. Yeah. The real relationships are hard. <laughs> well, which do you like better, Scrooge or the Grinch? Oh, a Scrooge. I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I loved all those movies from the beginning yeah. and, and, you know, Scrooge and, and everything. Going yeah. Up from- so which do you like better, clear lights or colored? 
Oh, I actually like colored lights better. I grew up around colored lights before clear lights were the thing. And I like clear lights too. They're pretty, but, but I, I love colored lights and, and especially, you know, uh, I, the, especially when interesting things are done with them, when, you know, when they're displayed, they just, they just seem so, I mean, they're just like this rainbow of stuff. So I, I like that better, but obviously the clear lights have become really popular over time. Yeah. Uh, would you rather be in a snowball fight or build a snowman? Oh, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'd rather build a snowman. <laughs> okay, good. Do you consider yourself a good gift wrapper? Yes, I do. I yeah. actually do. I'm, I'm pretty neat about it, you know, okay. um, but I can never get the, I don't know, in my whole life, I could never get both ends of the wrapping paper to, to end up the same way. You know how you always end up with one end that's pointed and when you pull it over and the other end, that's kind of flat when you pull it over. I don't know. I, I have a problem with that. I'm not a great ribbon person. I'm not good at that, but I'm really yeah. good at making that gift neatly. You know? so, that's good. good. Uh, all right. Last question. Yeah. Do you have an ugly holiday sweater? I have seen Hanukkah hey. ugly sweaters. I do not have, a, I do not. I have ugly sweaters period, but I don't have <laughs> So I could wear one on the holidays and call it my ugly holiday sweater. <laughs> I do have a few of those that I I've yet to throw year out. Round. Year round, yeah, year round. But uh, no, I do not. But I I love seeing them, and I every year it seems like I see bigger ones and uglier ones and <laughs> crazier ones. And and uh, uh, I'm writing a uh, another Christmas movie now, and there's a scene buying ugly Christmas sweaters, and and I just I had fun writing that because I could just I came up with something kind of unique yeah. to, to what the sweaters look like and. And uh, it's just always, always fun to see those. And also fun to think, you know, you think a sweater is ugly and somebody's like, I love this. You know, I think this is beautiful, you know. So it's beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. For sure. Well, congratulations on the, on the movie, uh, the Thank book, so everything. What a great, what a great year for you. It's been had. a good season. Yeah, I've been, yeah. had a happy season. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. And thanks for, for taking the time to talk and chat. And, and uh, you know, you're such a wealth of knowledge about Hallmark movies and Christmas movies, and you got it. You just got oh, it. So it's great. Great. Love talking about them. Thank you. Would you have social media or anything like that you want to share? I do. Yeah, I have a, a website, um, GaryGoldsteinLA.com, where you can learn more about me than you'd ever want to learn. Uh, and then I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter at GaryGoldsteinLA. Please follow me if you have any questions about writing movies, Christmas movies, uh, if I can give some advice or help. Always happy to do that. Uh, I've learned a lot in my journey and if I can spread it around, uh, spread around some holiday cheer, I'm always, always glad to do that. So please follow me and uh, watch Lights, Camera, Christmas. If you haven't yes. already, it's going to be rerunning re throughout the season on Hallmark. And I guess it's on Peacock also um, at various points yes. now, which is great. More eyeballs. So um, yeah. And have a great holiday, everybody. Yeah. I hope you have a very happy holidays. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Great to talk to you. We'd like to thank Gary for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun to get to talk with him. I really had a ball. So let us know what you think of all the things that we talked about. I covered a lot of different things. So we'd love to hear your thoughts in the comment section or on Twitter. And me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Check that out. Also make sure you're following the podcast, a Homeworkies Pod and Homeworkies Podcast, all of our social media. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. 
we sure appreciate those five-star reviews. They help people to find the podcast. And so it's a little thing you can do to really help us a lot. And uh, if you are watching on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We'll also have our playlist with all of our writer interviews in the description. So make sure you take a look at that. We love talking with the writers and uh, make sure to check out our patron group. That's the biggest way that you can help us uh, is help support us through the patron group. And we have lots of uh, watch alongs and other fun content uh, that you can get from becoming a patron. So please take a look at that. We also have the merch store. We can get lots of fun festive holiday designs. Please take a look at that. And now's the time you can get your team Andrew, team Paul, or team Tyler shirts for three wise men. They're really fun. And we have one with all three. So if you if you want to, to get that, that's there as well. So definitely please take a look at the merch store. So thanks again to Gary. And we'll talk to y'all later. Merry Christmas. 